Hello, and welcome to the Theological Family Ministry Podcast, a podcast for parents as well as children and youth ministry leaders. We are dedicated to showing how theological study and biblical application relate to the discipleship of children and youth. As always, we're hosted by Pastor Ben Palaz, the pastor of family and children's discipleship at Curtis Baptist Church in Augusta, Georgia, and Tony Trussoni, the family and student pastor at Faith Family Church in Finksburg, Maryland. All right, well, this is a special episode. Uh, This is number 50. So, Tony, did you think that we would make it to 50? I don't think so. (laughs) I didn't think we'd make it past one or two. (laughs) Yeah, I don't even know if we'd make it to five, so... Uh, so it's it's been fun so far. We've learned a lot and uh, just thinking through issues ourselves, also getting to learn from others. And so uh, we are excited today to learn from a special guest, uh, and we'll, we'll get to him in just a moment. Um, before we do, uh, I know the, the baseball trade deadline just came up, and it looks like the, my Braves made a deal with your Orioles. So I, you know, I don't know what that means for the short term. Are you guys going to get worse, or how's that going to go? Yeah, the Orioles pretty much made trades with everybody this year, so <laughs> it's not big news. Yeah, they really cleared house. In fact, uh, Jones was one of the only players that they didn't get rid of uh, because I think he denied a trade because of his, he had uh, the right to decline a trade through his contract. And I'm as a lot of Orioles fans here are kind of upset that are a little annoyed by this, to say the least. But I think it's it's what the Orioles needed to do, and I'm just glad the Orioles are making the hard decisions that they need to make to be good in ten years. That's right. Like Astro Bowl. Um, well, that's fun. Well, today we are going to uh, to dive into some important stuff with a guest that's been influential to both of us and um, to the wider church, and that is Jack Klumpenauer. And uh, Jack, how are you today? I'm well, thank you. Good. Jack, we are um, really pleased to be able to sit down and have a conversation with you, and we appreciate your time and, and generosity with that. And um, Jack, for those who don't know, uh, he is a Bible teacher and a children's ministry curriculum writer with more than 30 years of experience. He's created Bible lessons and taught children about Jesus at churches, camps, clubs, conferences, and Christian schools all over the world, including the Surge Conferences. And currently, uh, he's this maybe a little bit dated, but he was working on a middle school gospel curriculum uh, in connection with Surge staff, and he and his family live in Colorado. So I know Colorado, as you guys stay out there. Um, but We do. We, uh, we, we have a, a bit of a strange pronunciation, yes. Well, that's, you know, people... Uh, People do that, depending on the region. Um, and I know your your last name, Jack, is uh, probably gets mispronounced. I, I experienced that quite a bit in the South with a Polish last name, but um, you probably get some abuse from that. Hey, uh, but people think it's harder than it is. It's Klumpenhauer, uh, not very different from Eisenhower. Uh, good old Dutch name. It, uh, it It's not too tough. That's true. It's pretty phonetic, so... Well, Jack, uh, how? I mean, we, we heard about this in your bio, but how did you get involved in teaching children and youth? You know, by necessity, I just sort of uh, ended up jumped into it. Uh, oddly, one reason the uh, that that whole bio that talks about all the years of experience goes back so far. I, I taught my first Sunday school lesson when I was in eighth grade. Wow! Uh, I was, yeah. I don't recommend this. Uh, it's not the way churches ought to do things but we we were a small church Uh, my mom was a Sunday school teacher she had a bad case of laryngitis uh, the the Saturday night before Sunday she said Jack I I was the oldest child you're pretty good with kids you may have to teach this lesson for me uh, so so basically I I was made a a Sunday school teacher because uh, number one I was good with kids and number two I was able to speak and that was the criteria. <laughs> uh, it, it, it didn't hurt. I, I'd grown up uh, learning uh, the Bible stories. I uh, read the Bible around the dinner table and, and such, so that helped too. Uh, but that was it. And uh, I did that, and a year later they had me uh, teaching Sunday school regularly as a, as, as a high schooler, and I went to college, and I, and I kept, doing it, uh, kept doing it there. So uh, that, that, was just, that was my way of getting involved in the church, and... Uh, and a good one, but but like a lot of people, I was uh, thrown into it because there was a hole that needed to be filled, and and I was able to fill it in some ways. 
uh, I, I didn't necessarily come in terribly well trained or uh, or with the spiritual qualifications that I, I you know I, we'd love to see in every teacher, but we you know we don't always get. Mm-hmm. So the the materials in your books are these coming from your your musings as a fourteen year old Sunday school teacher or. <laughs> It, well, I, I, no, I, I, I've learned a lot since then. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I, I've learned a ton since then. I, I've learned, first of all, that, that it isn't about necessarily how good you are with kids or even how well you know the Bible. That, that Those things come naturally to me. That's easy. I, I, ne- I never, uh, you know, wonder, will I be good to, with kids uh, this time when I teach? Uh, do I know the Bible? Can I figure out what uh, I ought to teach? I, I, I'm good at that. But uh, in my life, am I practicing faith and repentance? Mm. Do I have a life with God? You know, I, I ask myself that question, which is what we really want for our teachers. And I, I kind of, even now, I go, gulp, ooh, practicing faith and repentance daily. Uh, sometimes. But boy, I need to be better, right? So I'm still growing. I think, uh, I think all of us who, 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 who teach the gospel and want to tell about Jesus, uh, what a daunting task, and, uh, and we're, we're constantly growing. That's good. Now, before I ask the next question, uh, I do want to uh, interject a little bit and say, the uh, we are really blessed today. I'm recording this while I'm on vacation, actually, uh, down in North Carolina, and we are really blessed to be able to record this at Cary Alliance Church in North Carolina. So, uh, and it's just really grateful for their generosity in allowing them to reco- us to record at their church. So, thanks, Cary Alliance. We appreciate it. We do. Uh, now, I want to ask. How did you come to see the need to give young people Jesus, not just morality lessons? Uh, I, again, uh, God was good, and, and it was other people. I mean, doesn't everything good always come from somebody else who's come before? So I was, in my young adult years, in my 20s already, I, I found myself in a church that was what we would call gospel-centered, uh, before gospel-centered was a thing. <laughs> so so I, I, I ended up on the, on the cusp of, sort of, a, of some very good teaching. Uh, you know, as a church, we had this idea of the Christian life. You know, it's not about trying to, to prove to God that you're good enough. Mm-hmm. Instead, it's about you know, drawing strength from God, drawing strength from the, the truth of who you are in Christ and, and living out of that. And, and, and as a church, we were trying to be that in all areas of ministry. And as I told you, I was in children's ministry. And that was before we had gospel-centered curricula. Uh, and, and it was, here's a story from one piece of the Bible. It's treated as an isolated story. You get a little moral message out of it. Maybe you get uh, a little truth about God. And uh, that's pretty much all you do. And then once a year, probably in the spring, around uh, Good Friday and Easter, you teach about how Jesus died on the cross and he rose again. And that's this pressure-packed week when you got to do this important lesson and it never feels natural. It never feels comfortable because of all the pressure. And then uh, when you get past that, you take a breath, you move on, and you do your nice little isolated lessons again. And, you know, I realized that was wrong. Other people in the church realized that that wasn't really right. Uh, Why is talking about the cross and the resurrection so hard? Well, because we only do it once a year. You mean Uh, Shouldn't we be doing it constantly? Isn't it the center of the Christian life? Shouldn't we be living out of it? And how do we do that with kids? And that's not... It ends up being one of the hardest things, because our culture doesn't deal with kids that way. Uh, we're used to we're used to either ignoring sin when we talk to kids and tell kids how good they are. You're great. <laughs> You're wonderful. You're an awesome, kid. You know, regardless of anything else. Or we're used to telling kids, you need to do this and that. You need to shape up this way. You need to shape up that way. You need to prove that you are good enough by doing this, doing that, doing that. Okay? You know, and, and 
both of those are just enemies of the gospel. The gospel is brutally honest about sin, Amen. and it points to Jesus, not yourself, as the answer. And we're not used to dealing with kids that way. And, and, and we, we just sort of have to redo our thinking. So I and, and, and a couple other guys, too, at that church just started uh, we learned from each other. I was, I was not the first to start thinking that way, but we learned from each other and started to think, what would it be like to, to teach with that in mind? Are you implying that being 1.8% gospel-centered is not technically being gospel-centered? <laughs> uh, yeah, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if, if it's the center, it's the center. <laughs> Absolutely. That is so true. Yeah, that's that is good insight, uh, and just hearing that as the background forming, you know, the, the materials then you started putting out as you got this grasp for yourself. Now it's serving even more churches. Um, so you alluded to this before. But, you know, we know that people need to know and to believe the gospel to be saved, um, but then they need to know how to they need to know how to live. So how does that affect the manner and the frequency that we should give them the gospel? Uh, because we want our kids to be saved, um, but we also, we, we're concerned about their lives. So how does that, you, you mentioned this about the tension and things, but, uh, but just elaborate more on that. Uh, you know, I think we have a tendency to, to make the mistake of, of somehow detaching holy living from the good news of Jesus. The gospel is one thing. Holy living is another thing. And, and, and we act as if they aren't connected. So we either don't teach holy living because that's not the gospel, or we, we do teach holy living and we sort of teach it apart from Jesus. Again, we teach it as if it's a performance for God. I have to do this for God, uh, as opposed to something we do with God. So, so the way I think about it is, uh, I talk a lot about holy living uh, when I teach, um, and especially with my kids in my own house. You know, I, I constantly uh, ha- having to talk about holy living, uh, and and that's okay. That's good. That's important. Um, and 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 the key is don't detach it from Jesus, right? First of all, it's part of the gospel. Um, we, we get stuck sometimes with, without having a, a full view of the many ways that we are saved from sin. If, if the good news of Jesus is the good news that we are saved from sin, then, okay, we're saved from the guilt of sin. That's part of it. But we're also saved from uh, the, the power that sin has over our lives. That's about holy living. Okay, so I, I, I want to approach holy living that way. Okay, we are, we are learning to live for God and to live his way. We are repenting daily, and that is a part of God's work in us, that is a part of God's goodness to us, that is part of the dignity that we have as, as children of God, that is part of the hope we have in heaven, because uh, of heaven, because we, we know that one day that's going to be us. We are going to be perfectly holy, and we can't wait to start living that way. All these things that are part of what we have and who we are in Christ, they're connected to our holy living, our holy living is part of it. So, that, that's one thing when you ask, you know, what's the, what's the way that you teach the gospel and teach about holy living? Well, you, you teach holy living as part of it. Um, and, and, and then how do you go about it? How do you go about holy living? Is it, is it as if you're detached from God and you're trying to show off for him? Or do you do it by faith that Christ is at work in you? So... Prayer is a part of your holy living. Jesus is at work in you. Um, I, 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 I'm reminded of a kid I taught in Sunday school class uh, a couple years ago. Had, had had huge behavior problems. They were addressing them in school. We had to deal with them in, in our Sunday school room. And, and, and you know, he would ask me at the end of class every week, how did I do today? Did, did I do all right? Did I behave all right? And you know, at first I started answering him, well, you know, you, you did pretty well this way, not so well that way. And at some point I, I realized, this is, this is bad, this is wrong. 
what I, what I need to be telling this kid is, here's where I see God working in your life. It's about God. Let's, let's pray for more work in your life from God. Because this kid was just trying to perform for me and, and ultimately for God. And, and I want to say, no, 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 no. God is on your side. You're working with him. Let's pray about your behavior and let's give God the credit when you do well. Uh, so I, I, I think that's, those are kind of the two things I try to keep in mind. No, I think that, that's a great answer. I'm going to go to Titus 2 where it talks about the grace of God has appeared, he's come and it's saved us, um, and, and he's gave himself to redeem us from lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, for zealous for good works. And, and so, like you said, I mean, the, the two do go hand in hand. We, we shouldn't separate them uh, as they're two separate categories that we just, you know, one's on this side of the room, this one's on the other. Right. Uh, yeah. A couple of years ago, I taught through the Ten Commandments in my class, and I was, I was worried it would just be this thing that you have to do or God will zap you. Um, and I put up the Titus 2 verse right next to the Ten Commandments, just as a reminder, it's part of God's goodness and His work. So I love mm-hmm. that. love that passage. Great. Now, kind of to relate to the previous question, to put it more practically, uh, to give some preface to the next question, you know, I just finished uh, reading a uh, great biography of William Tyndale, and it talked about the controversy between Thomas More and William Tyndale. Thomas More is venerated as a saint in the Catholic Church as well as the Anglican Church in England. And he said, you know, if you teach this justification by faith stuff, if you say this righteousness is by faith, well, people will be unruly. Uh, do you think that's the case? I mean, if we don't constantly teach children ethics and moral instructions, won't the kids just really be out of control, Jack? <laughs> well, we, we should teach moral instruction. The, the trick is not do you teach it or do you not, but do you teach it as part of a full teaching of the gospel of Jesus, right? Um, here's the deal. I, I, I am fully convinced that gospel teaching, teaching who we are in Christ, helps us to address moral behavior more fully than teaching that sort of ignores the gospel and just says, this is what you're supposed to do, this is what you're supposed to do, you know, now, now go and do this. Um, uh, part of it is that, that gospel teaching aims at higher motivations, uh, let's say, we won't even take kids as an example, let's take me as an example, okay? I'm tempted to lie. Let's say, yeah, I'm, let's say I'm in a situation and I, I'm concerned about my reputation, my image. I'm tempted to tell some kind of lie to make myself look better, okay? Now, it's possible that just the instruction, God says, you're not supposed to lie, you better not lie, or whatever. It's possible that that will help me to not lie. Okay, but that is not going to help me to love the truth. And part of the command of God, part of his law, is not just don't lie, but you're to love the truth. Not just don't steal, you're to not be greedy. What's the first and greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Okay? Just being told to love God is not enough. I can't love God because somebody told me I have to love God. I love God because the gospel and Christ is at work in my life. Uh, I, I know that I'm saved from sin, so I have gratitude. I know that God is my Father, and I spend time with Him, and I learn to love Him, and, and, and I see the goodness of Christ, and I want to be like Him. So, so as we teach the gospel there, we're, we're actually being far more serious about God's law because we're addressing laws such as love the Lord your God. You, you need the gospel in order to do that. Um, and and I think also we we need some confidence and and comfort, or we'll just look at a a law like love the Lord your God, and and we'll ignore it. It's it's too big. It's it's too hard. It 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 condemns us. And and unless we know that in Christ we're forgiven, and unless we know that in Christ 
we have the spirit in us working in us to to change us and and bring us to that point where we can love the lord we we, we look at a command like love the lord with all your heart and it just scares us and we, we don't even want to go there we don't even want to work on it uh so teaching the gospel is just necessary in order to pursue holiness with you know sort of the full vigor that the, the gospel calls us to that's helpful you know what i uh, think is so fascinating in that is uh with that kind of dichotomy uh, i really love galatians and you would think with the mentality of the judaizers and galatians they were so focused on works that they would be a whole lot more fruitful a whole lot more godly a whole lot more compassionate than the apostle paul who's so focused on grace but history shows us very much otherwise. And so, the, you know, I, I feel like the Judaizers tried to grab hold of what they could grab. You know, you talked about the intimidation of loving the Lord your God. So they instead grabbed, well, I can make you circumcised. I can do that. That's something I can grab right. hold of. But they weren't capable of any real godliness, anything really significant for God. Yeah, that, that's, that's an excellent example. Yeah, yeah I, I'm, I'm going to have to use that sometime. I'll try to give you credit. <laughs> no need to. So, Jack, just kind of extrapolating this out further, what are some more examples of how behavior and ethics emerge from who Jesus is and what he's done for us? Oh, boy. Yeah, well, one that I think we... Uh, one that I think we miss is, uh, is adoption. Uh, the the beauties and and just the the things that go along with the fact that we are God's sons and daughters uh, if we are in Christ. So that, that it, it gives us the closeness to the Father uh, that that one should should build love in us. Um, it, it it it's I think that's my great uh, personally for many times in my life that, that that's my great motivation. Um, I am tempted, again, here I am, I'm tempted to lie, right? What will stop me? Many times what stops me is I remind myself, wait, you are a son of the Father in heaven. And he is a God of truth. And you are a man of truth. And there's great dignity and honor in this, this, this one incident, this, this, this one chance. Here, here you are, and, and Jack, Jack, you're, you're tempted, tempted to pursue some sort of honor from others by, by telling a little lie about yourself. Stop, stop it. Stop it. You want, you want real honor? Right here, right now. Don't tell that lie. Be a man of truth. There's honor in that. That, that, that one works for me. Um, but we have many motivations. <laughs> Again, I mentioned gratitude. We, I mean, even warnings. Even warnings are our are, are motivation in, in the Scripture. I don't think they're the, the strongest uh, uh, motivation, but there are a lot of them. Uh, hope in heaven is a great motivation. Just, just seeing Jesus and wanting to be like him is, is a great motivation. Um, n- knowing that we are able. You know, we are, we are not hopeless when faced with sin. It's not like uh, there's no way I can resist this. No, no, we, we can resist it. Uh, God is in you. Um, all of those things, they emerge from who Jesus is and, and, and who he is for us. That's that's really good. I I mean, it should, you've you're not putting out something new. I mean, you're, you're just digging in and thinking carefully about what Scripture itself teaches. And then you talked about those deeper motivations that, that stretch beyond just the command and, and – you know, we talked the, the the command itself can't yeah. give life and give the proper motivation. So um, mm-hmm. that's 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 intensely practical what you're talking about. Yeah, I, uh, I I think that is such a helpful point. But to connect it all to and show them Jesus, so much of the point wasn't just about you know how morality springs from the gospel, but how the gospel is there throughout the Bible. I one time talked to a children's director who had told me that she avoids teaching the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, because she wants to show her she wants to teach her kids about Jesus, and Jesus can't be found there. 
And based on that kind of perception and and your thoughts, won't working to find these connections of Jesus in the Bible, whether in the Pentateuch or elsewhere, and in life application require a lot of work? Can people without special training or who aren't called the gospel ministry do that kind of thing of connecting it all to Jesus? Um, First of all, it does take some work. Uh, and, And training is good. And uh, I think we ought to be training our teachers. We ought to be training our, our parents who are, are, are leading kids uh, in the home. And uh, the better you know the Bible, I mean, you really do. You need to know the Bible if you're going to start in some, you know, some chapter of Genesis and, uh, and weave your way to Jesus. You, you do need to know that. Uh, but, but it's doable. It isn't... It, it, it isn't so beyond us that uh, that we all need to go to seminary for us for it. Uh, Jesus basically told his disciples right, in uh, the last chapter of Luke. He said, uh, "He said it's about me. It's all about me." And uh, if we're looking at the Bible, at the Old Testament, and asking ourselves, "How is this about Jesus?" How, how does Jesus complete what I'm reading here? Uh, we'll at least be on, on the right basic track. And uh, I think it helps to remember that the Bible is one story. Uh, that we, we sort of have, again, this the, the default way of looking at the Bible, where we think of it as isolated stories. I mean, e- even the very way our, our Bibles are set up with a heading, and then halfway through the chapter, a new heading, and then a new heading. That, that's helpful. It helps us find our way. But again, we tend to think, oh, this is a, an isolated chunk instead of looking at the, the whole story. So if you're in Genesis, for last week, last week I was uh, teaching BBS, and I had five lessons from Genesis, including several from the life of Abraham and several about Isaac, uh, one was the, the birth of Isaac. God promises Isaac will be born. He will be the one through whom God will, will bless the whole world. Now, I could make things difficult for myself by thinking, Isaac, let's see, uh, topology. He is a picture of Christ. Uh, how is he similar to Christ? What, uh, how, how is the picture carried on? And I would have made things rather simple, rather, uh, difficult for myself and very difficult for the six-year-olds I was teaching. Uh, <laughs> they're not, they're just not going to follow. Uh, but instead I, I just asked the question, how does this story continue after Isaac is born? What's the whole Bible context? We're still looking for the one who will be born of woman, the seed of woman who will crush the head of the serpent that we got back in Genesis 3. Uh, Isaac is, is not him. Isaac is the beginning of that promise, but there's more. We need to move on, move on, move on in the Bible. Not only did Abraham and Sarah need to believe God's promise, but all of their descendants needed to believe God's promise that that one guy, the the, the even bigger son than Isaac was coming, and then he came, and it's Jesus, and this is what he did for us, and he, like, like Isaac, brought joy and laughter, and, and he, he died for us, and, and where are we now? Well, now we're still believing the promises that Jesus is coming back. I, that's, that's just storytelling. That's just knowing the, the story and, and, and not taking it as an isolated piece, but, but stretching it out and, and showing the end. Uh, I think most parents, most Sunday school teachers who have a a pretty good basic knowledge of the Bible can do that. That's good. Mm. Yeah, there's such a beautiful poetry there. And, you know, and you don't have, like you say, you don't have to be that kind of scholar. You just have to be able to reveal it, you know, and be able to be taught in that kind of thing. And I think so often people can't do it, not because they're not experts, but because their churches don't train them to at every level. That so many sermons, I think, are as every bit as moralistic as the children's lessons. Yeah, that can be the case. So, 
if teachers don't need some sort of special training, uh, they don't have to be called to be you know to vocational ministry. Um, <clears throat> What are some effective ways, if they have uh, some working knowledge of Scripture, what are some effective ways or questions that they can ask of the text? Um, and even parents, they, they can help them appropriately connect passages of Scripture to Jesus. You're talking about just being a good storyteller and keeping the whole story in mind. Are there other ways that you found helpful? Uh, yes, there, there are certain questions you can ask. I, I, I do think, how does this story continue? Uh, yeah, understanding the context is, is, is maybe the, the key one, the most important one. Uh, but we, we're also, a lot of us have been taught to take a, a Bible lesson and, and, and ask the question, what is the, you know, if, let's say again, the Bible lesson is about Abraham and Sarah. What, what do I need to learn from uh, Abraham and Sarah? to believe God's promises and uh, to not laugh at God's promises. Well, that's a good lesson. Uh, <laughs> teaching kids to have faith was actually a, a big part of, of, of what I was teaching when I taught that lesson. But more than just the, the humans in the story, we also need to ask, what was God doing in that story? God was making and keeping promises. God is being faithful to his people, to Abraham and Sarah, despite their weak faith, they laughed at his promises. Despite that, he's being faithful to them and he's keeping his word. Okay? So now we have something that's God-centered. We've learned about God. What is God doing? And, 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 and now we ask the question, God is the same. <laughs> same in the Old Testament as he is in the New. How how has God done that same thing in Jesus? He has kept his promise. He is being faithful to us despite our unfaithfulness. He is bringing laughter and joy. And, and, and how will he continue to do so? We can, we can oftentimes move past, even past the cross and the resurrection and, and, uh, and, and the New Testament narratives, and, and we can move to right now. Uh, how is God faithful to me, and, and, and what will he do when Christ returns? How, how is he faithful in that way? So, so we ask, what is, what is God doing in this particular part of the Scripture? Take that to Jesus. How does he do the same for us in Jesus? Or sometimes it's, who is God? What is he like? We, we learn about his character. God is a, a God who keeps his promises. How does he keep his promises also in Christ? How does he keep his promises to us today, continuing to keep his promises in Christ? Um, and sometimes we end up with a story, especially in the Old Testament, where we say, this is incomplete. This tells us something of God's goodness, but it's not a very satisfying answer. Um, Samson, Samson is this strong, mighty judge who saves Israel from the Philistines, but taken in, in total, Samson is not a terribly encouraging story. He's, <laughs> he's, he's, he's not a guy where you want to say, this is our savior. He's, he's, he's selfish. He, he's deeply flawed. And, and, and you want to say, we, we, don't we want to look for a better savior. And, and that's actually being very true to the book of Judges, where you find the Samson story. And the book of Judges shows how the, the, the judges were, were flawed saviors at best, and uh, the people needed a king. And, and you move forward into Samuel and kings, you realize that the kings too are flawed. We need the king. Uh, so, so sometimes you look at What's, what's incomplete? What are, where are we still wanting more? Where are we wanting better? And how does Jesus give us what is better, what is full, uh, all the completeness that God has in store for us? Uh, and so those are three questions I, I often ask. Uh, what is God doing in this story? How does he do the same for us even better in Jesus? Who is God? How is he the same in Jesus? And what's left uncertain and, and, and unhappy and unfulfilled, and how is it fulfilled and completed in Jesus? Those are, those are very basic questions, but I think, are, are, and I've even I've seen them in the book, Show Them Jesus, and um, 
I have a fair bit of opportunity teaching kids. And so, um, I've used those in ways to try to connect and, uh, and I have seminary training, that kind of thing. But I think that's just a, a really good way of getting to the point in a way that can connect even with young children. Yes. And it helps to have frameworks. I still use frameworks. Uh, when, when, when I don't have good frameworks, I end up doing the same thing again and again. Uh, but, but I have frameworks where I, I, I can go through various different ways to present the gospel or show Jesus. Um, just, sometimes I'll go through various benefits of, of being joined to Jesus, uh, justification, sanctification, adoption, uh, the, the, the age to come. And I'll say, how does the theme I'm teaching apply in each of these, or which of these uh, applies here, and I'll, I'll look so I, I don't always just, for instance, hop on justification. Every mm-hmm. lesson has to be about how Jesus uh, forgives your sin on the cross. Well, no, not every lesson, because there's more to the gospel than that. Um, or as you've, you've heard me do in the last uh, you know, half hour, I, I just look at the different points in history. Uh, how was this promise? How, how, how does this theme fulfilled in Jesus, uh, how is this theme applied to me today by the Spirit's work in me and, and Christ's work uh, in my life today, and, and, and what what about the future? I like your term to um, the join to Jesus, and I know you're getting at union with Christ, but particularly in working with, with kids, but I think even with youth and adults, I mean, one thing, uh, it's I guess an easier picture than the term union with Christ. And, you know, I'm Southern Baptist, so we, it's, it's, it's alliteration. We like alliteration. So yeah. <laughs> we do. Yeah, I, I, I did. I, I, I took the idea of union in Christ. You're right. And I, I started using joined to Jesus. I, I just, yes, it works better for me too. Yeah. I think you'll notice our Baptist nature from the titles of some of our podcasts. I'm sure we'll have to find some kind of uh, ridiculous alliteration for uh, our interview with you then. now is this uh more than a theological exercise in trying to show young people that the bible is really about jesus on a theological level how does the teacher's own heart matter in this how do the kids heart matter is this kind of just a matter of the mind all this showing them jesus uh you know i i try to remember that the students, the kids will remember and learn the things that their teacher is passionate about. And if I don't go into, first of all, say a Sunday school lesson, if I'm teaching at church, so, sort of believing that, you, you know, th- this lesson I'm teaching this week, this is like the, the, the best lesson in the whole Bible. If, if, I, if, if I haven't done enough study and, and, and gotten myself uh, excited about it, they probably won't be terribly excited about it, and they won't remember it. So, so it, it does take that. It's even harder in the home. You know, if you do family devotions every evening, and uh, first of all, it's, it's just hard to, be, to, to really be into it and to, and to say, look, in, you know, in my case, we, we do it uh, after we eat and say, look, we, we need to eat every day. We need to, to feed every, every evening, and then we need to feed on God's Word, too. And, and I'm just as excited about that as I was about the lasagna. Um, and, then, and then to do that without, without the kids, you know, tuning out, because after a while you get preachy. Uh, and, you know, and re- it's hard, especially for a parent. Um, to, to first of all, be excited about Jesus, and, and, and secondly, live your life where you, you take all your difficulties and all your struggles to Jesus. Um, I, I am much more inclined to fix problems myself, um, including my problems with sin. I, I will hunker down. I will, I will do better. I am much more inclined to do that than to, to take it to Jesus and uh, find help and, and find forgiveness and, and so on. Um, I, am, I am horribly slow sometimes to pray when there's trouble. And, and, and that, that makes it difficult. A teacher really ought to be a person who is quick to pray when there's trouble. Uh, but, but both at home, 
with my own family and uh, and even in the classroom there i am i'm teaching about jesus like at one moment i can talk about how now calvin said that the prayer is the chief way we exercise faith we should have faith we should be praying constantly and in the next moment something happens some kid tries to jump over the bench in the classroom and trips over it and bumps his head and we're trying to get to mom and oh no i've been a bad teacher i haven't uh, uh, i haven't supervised them properly this actually happened and and you know 5 minutes later i realized this kid was mildly hurt and was crying and i should have prayed with him it didn't even occur to me how, how is that and and how much better would it have been if my instinct had been uh, not to think about, oh, no, what does this say about me as a teacher? Oh, no, how, how, what will I do? That's the right thing because people will be asking questions how this kid got hurt. If my instinct had been to pray, uh, that, that would have testified to, to Christ in a way that, that probably would have been worth 10 Bible lessons. Uh, so yes, it matters a great deal. Uh, I resonate with, unfortunately, resonate with that. How slow I am to take my concerns to the Lord, just go into problem-solving mode. And I, I was talking with one of the other pastors here a little while ago, who taking up some time with a young guy who has an attitude of, I got myself into this mess, I'm going to get myself out of it. And just this, you know, I guess it ends up, it's just pride, not relying on the Lord mm-hmm. that I can fix these problems. And um, and so, yeah, <laughs> our, our life matters a great deal in our teaching. Oh, it, it, it does. And uh, I find that to be the hardest uh, part. Well, Jack, why do you think, this is changing gears a little bit, but why do you think that there are such high rates of young people leaving the church once they graduate from high school and launch into adulthood? I've seen some stats that say that even the majority of kids leave at least for a time, and then a good portion of them come back. But how can those who teach and minister to young people work to try to reverse that trend, and how can those who are working in the church, how can they help parents in that? Because we know that they certainly have a big role. Yeah, well, there's been, I, I, I think we're, we should be glad and, and thankful that there's been, I think, some pretty good research done on that. Uh, it's not an easy question to answer, right? Why, why are our, our kids leaving the church? And in, in one way, I think it's a, a pretty complicated question. Uh, we know that certain things correlate. Being in church consistently correlates with kids staying in church, being involved, having regular family devotions in the home. They all, all correlate. We, we want to do those things. Um, but ultimately, we know from Scripture, and I think it's plain to see that people who love Jesus stay close to Jesus. And we, we are to do our job. It's, it's God's job to call his people to himself and to grant them saving faith. Uh, we can't do that. Uh, the right formula of, of doing you know, this, that, the other thing with our kids so that they stay in church, it, 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 it won't save them. We can't do that. It's the Spirit's job. But we have been given the job to do. Uh, we have been given the job to tell them the gospel. Uh, our job is to show them Jesus. Uh, and we would hate to find that a kid has left the church and turned his back on Jesus because he, he never really saw the real Jesus. Mm-hmm. All he saw was a, a poor imitation of Jesus, uh, a, a weak view of Jesus. You know, a, a, a lot of these young people, I, I, I imagine, that they, you know, they're they're turning their back on the church and turning their back on Jesus without having even really seen who Jesus is with any depth. Uh, our job is to make it hard for them to walk away, to make to make sure that they know that if. If Jesus is who, who the, God tells us in the Bible, he is. If Jesus is who we tell them, from, from our believing God's word, that Jesus is, then the decision to walk away 
is it, it's the biggest, most consequential decision they will ever make. Because if what we're saying is true, that, that, that's a bad decision. Um, yes. I, I, I'm not sure that, that every kid who walks away even, even realizes that much. That, you know, that, that if they're wrong, they're, they're, they're so very wrong. Um, again, that, that's our job. Our job, show them Jesus. Make sure that they know that, uh, that, that if they walk away, we at least believe that they're, they're walking away from life itself and, uh, and, and all that they need. That's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think you make such a good point. And I think so often it's not portrayed as walking away from life itself, like he said, in that kind of way. And I think for kids to understand that is so pivotal, uh, both in youth and children's ministry. Now, I want to ask a question we didn't prepare uh, you for, so you're getting hit, hit by a bit of a curveball. Uh, so, uh, okay. listeners, please give some grace uh, here, because, uh, though I'm sure he'll do great. Uh, what questions should teachers ask of every lesson they write? I think that's an important question to ask, especially related to a blog article you wrote one time. I think there are a lot of listeners here that might, whether they're the pastor, one of the pastors of their church, whether they're the children's director, or even if they're just asked to write an Awana lesson once a year, they need to know what questions they should ask of every lesson they write. Well, uh, the, the article you're referring to, one, one of the ways I, I check myself, I'll, I'll, I'll write a lesson, I think it's good and gospel-centered, and, and then I'll ask myself, does this lesson still work? if Jesus did not die for our sins, you know, can, can I do this lesson? Can I, can I teach this lesson? And Jesus didn't really die for our sins, but still the, the, the lesson works because it's just about uh, how you need to be good or whatever. Yeah. Does this lesson still work if Jesus didn't really rise from the dead? Or does this lesson just completely fall apart? Because <laughs> for this lesson to be true, Jesus needs to be alive. He needs to have risen from the dead. Does this lesson really work? Does it work at all if Jesus is not uh, the, the king who is coming to, uh, to judge everyone and to, uh, to, to bring his people to God? And if, uh, if the lesson can kind of stand on its own and uh, without uh, any of that even being true, it, it, it isn't a Christian lesson. It isn't a lesson that uh, is, is about the gospel, because those things are the good news of Jesus. So uh, that sometimes is, is, is something I'll, I'll go through and I'll, I'll ask myself. And, and if the lesson doesn't work, then, then I'm, I'm, I'm missing. I've, I've missed the step of, of attaching what, what I found in the passage of teaching to, to the gospel of Jesus. I think that relates a lot to, uh, I referred to in this, the podcast before, Mark Dever has a term that he uses uh, about sermons that don't include elements like you talked about, and he calls, uh, he calls them uh, synagogue sermons. And uh, right. I think in a lot of ways you're writing about the danger of giving synagogue youth talks or synagogue children's messages. Right, right. Lessons that would work if you were in a synagogue. Lessons that would work if you were just giving a, an inspirational talk uh, at uh, at a public school. Uh, we, we we want we want lessons that if you came to a public school in this country and you taught that, someone would say, no, 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 you you can't you can't teach that here. We really our, our lessons need to be those kinds of lessons. Yeah, that's that 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 really gets to the crux of the matter. Um, if Jesus really is. At the center of Scripture, as he says he is, and you know, Second Corinthians one says that all God's promises find their yes and their amen in Him. Then, then we've got to be drawing our attention as the teacher and um, whoever we're teaching, drawing their attention there. All right, so Jack, you've given uh, good insight into these things, and it's been a privilege to just pick your brain and to hear you expound on these things, and also to hear your passion. Because I mean, I've read. Uh, read your writing, but hearing it come out, uh, that this is more than just a, an intellectual exercise for you. And that, I mean, you opened up saying, um, do I have a life of 
with God? Am I repenting and believing? And that that's marking then your ministry uh, as you go and serve others. Um, that that has been really encouraging to hear. If listeners want to get more of your resources, um, how can so that they can more effectively show Jesus to the, those the, the young people that they are teaching and caring for? Um, where can they go to find that? Well, there there are a couple places. Uh, I do have a website, jackklumpenhauer.com, and uh, it's been a while since I've updated it with new articles, but there are a lot of uh, fairly older articles there that are are still, I I hope, helpful (laughs) to some people. Also, uh, some people will have read uh, the book, Show Them Jesus, and on that website I have certain helps that go along with the book uh, that will, um, for instance, they, uh, they present some of the frameworks that I talk about, uh, some checklists for a teacher if you want to go through and, uh, and uh, you know, kind of check yourself. Am I, am I teaching the gospel? Am I being gospel-centered? Uh, some illustrations. So I have, have some of that. I, I also, I took my own lesson notes uh, and in many places, I put them online, too. So uh, if uh, someone wants to look and see, okay, how did this Jack guy, how, you know, how did he teach about uh, the birth of Isaac? Well, I, I have a little note on that. It's, it's probably not the only good gospel-centered way to do it, but it, it's one of many. And uh, it, I learn from others. I get ideas from others, so I, I've tried to share uh, some of my ideas with others there. So that's uh, jackklumpenhauer.com. Also, uh, at the beginning, I think you realized we were working on a uh, resource for middle schoolers. Uh, that's, that's been out and been published for a while now uh, with Deborah Harrell, my, uh, my co-writer. And it t- takes a lot of the ideas that we're talking about here, and it puts it in uh, what I hope is a fairly fun sort of uh, workbook that uh, a mentor can work through with, again, older elementary uh, kids and, and middle schoolers. That's called What's Up? Uh, discovering the Gospel of Jesus and Who You Really Are. So uh, that's another resource that's out there. Thank you so okay. much. Well, great. I think, yeah, I would commend the book uh, as well as the website to you. I haven't looked at the other materials, but... Um, but thank you for providing those, and thank you uh, for for giving us some time. Yeah. Well, thank you for uh, letting uh, me talk with you. Uh, you you're, you're doing uh, good work there on that podcast. I, I'm not at all surprised you're up to 50 episodes. <laughs> there's, there's good material. I, I've uh, looked back. I've listened to some of it. Uh, I, I'm, uh, I'm encouraged by it. It's good stuff. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Appreciate the encouragement. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Theological Family Ministry Podcast. If you have enjoyed this episode, please give us a review on iTunes and share the podcast with your friends on social media. All new episodes are available to listen to on Stitcher, SoundCloud, YouTube, Spreaker, and iTunes. We hope you have a great week, and join us again every first and third Thursday.